Well, hello, my friends, and welcome back to Fandom Talk. Welcome back to the Star Wars EU or EU review. But most importantly, on this day, January 24th, I get to say Happy New Year to everyone. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Al, I don't even know if you realize this, but this is literally the first thing that the Phantom Correspondents have done in 2024. So how exciting is that for the, for this podcast? I mean, that's that's pretty exciting. It's got me a tingling, I'll tell you that much. There we go. We're, we're already tingling, guys. We're already tingling. Already uh, tingling. We are back for season three of Star Wars. They tried to cancel us. It, it didn't happen. <laughs> we are coming back with even more jokes, even more tall tales and yarns to tell you about. And, and we're just, yeah, man, we're just happy to be back. 2024, Absolutely. baby. Let's do it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. As of, I mean, by the time this is recording uh, or by the time this is published, uh, the following week, I'll be starting back up on streaming and doing my movie reviews on TikTok. Um, we've got not only this wonderful segment of the EU or E review, we've got the entire year planned out already. We're very ahead of schedule on that. And we've got some other really, really fun things coming. Maybe in a, maybe even a new series coming next month. Hmm. Uh, wh- what? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But if you guys are not returning fans, and if you are a new fan, then you may not know our exceptional voices yet. My name is Jacob Vance Hardesty. I'm the EIC here of the Phantom Correspondence. And I also have with me my wonderful co-host here uh, for the Star Wars EU or E review segment, uh, the Red Lantern himself, Mr. Al Manley. Al, how you doing, man? I am doing fantastic. It is so good to be right back in my computer chair with my microphone just too close to my face for comfort. Mm. And and my headphones just just closing out all the background noise, and I'm ready to talk about some Star Wars stuff with my good friend Jacob. I'm happy to be back. Hell yeah, absolutely, brother, absolutely. All right, my friends. Um, first and foremost, this is the we we don't do this too often with the EU or E review because we kind of just assume that most people know what they're getting in for. But this is the one that I'm going to tell you ahead of time. We are covering The Fallen Star, which is the last of the major publications for um, for Phase 1 of the Star Wars High Republic series. There are a few comics kind of act as an epilogue, which we'll talk – I, I kind of want to talk about towards the end of this, actually, Al, if, you, if you're okay with that, too. Um, mm-hmm. I know we haven't read them probably in a little bit, but just kind of brief. Um, and there's a couple other things that do connect to it, but for all intents and purposes, this was the finale – um, and we're we're going full spoilers. There's going to be character deaths that are important. Um, there's going to be a lot of moments that are just important. You you kind of know kind of a central thing that's going to happen if you have read the previous books and you look at the title of this one. Um, <laughs> but all the same, there are some spoilery things coming. So if you are new to the podcast, if you're new to the higher public, and you are interested in getting getting in into either of those things. Please feel free to pause this episode, go check out The Higher Public, go check out some of our older podcasts where we did cover the first two books of The Light of the Jedi, which was our very first official episode of the EU or E-Review, and uh, The Rising Storm, which we covered last January. Um, 
the high republic's fantastic it's worth getting into i i know we're kind of skipping the to, to the grand to the the end of the grand canon question uh, here with this but this is all fantastic it's worth checking out some of the best star wars stuff that's coming out right now but i did not want to get into this and then spoil basically everything about the first <laughs> main phase for everyone so so yes so if you are new to it this is not the one to start off with but if you are a returning fan, and if you are someone who has already been reading the Higher Public or reading along with us, then one, we're happy you're here. But also, let's just jump right into it because this book is this book is incredible. Uh, I really, really like this third one. Um, but Al, I'm going to send it your way. I am curious about your be, before we start the, the actual book itself. I'm curious about your overall thoughts of the first phase of the Higher Public and and also this book as well as kind of the end cap of it. Absolutely, man. Um, yeah, for everybody um, who doesn't know, um, the High Republic is one of the first um, kind of unique um, expanded universe projects that um, Star Wars decided to do after uh, the Disney takeover, um, after the sequel films were done. And it really clarifies um where the jedi were what kind of the structure of the jedi was like um approximately for phase one approximately 200 years prior um to episode one um of the skywalker saga so um it's and so it's a while back um almost zero of the characters that uh, we have come to know and love um uh, during the course of the skywalker saga um have even been born yet and so it's a whole brand new cast of characters um, whole brand new kind of structure and culture to the Republic that uh, we're exploring um, in this series. So um, it was really interesting to kind of jump into this um, as a new era of exploration for uh, this time point and and on the Star Wars canon. So um, so all that being said, um, I think phase one of the High Republic um, was a really great way to kind of introduce people to uh, this era um, of time for Star Wars. Um, a really interesting way to kind of weave a new kind of story that explored the Jedi, explored where the Republic was at the time, um, and also kind of um, introduced some new things about it. Um, as we've talked about in episodes past, you know, this isn't a typical kind of conflict that we've come to expect. It's not a matter of, of you know, um, the Jedi are over here and the Sith are over there. And we got to hope that, like, the Jedi are better with their lightsabers than um, the Sith Lords are. And that's essentially what um, the conflict um, is reduced to. Uh, this is a brand new story. It tells a very new kind of conflict where um, the Jedi are just kind of forced to react and figure out um, adaptive, innovative ways to respond to the galactic threat that um, this group of um, especially um, essentially space hikings called the High Hill um, as they commit um, just essentially acts of terrorism across the galaxy. Um, and the Jedi just kind of have to to react to that, and so it's not as simple as, you know, pulling out your lightsaber and taking down a bunch of dudes who are doing bad things. It much more explores the role of the Jedi at this time, which was much more of a peacekeeper, 
of kind of the the peaceful overseers of the galaxy who are trying to hold the Republic um, t together as one rather than the kind of order of military um, habits, if you will, that we kind of see in the Clone Wars. Um, and so it's really interesting. Uh, the Repu the High Republic has done a really good job of both telling a new story while kind of trying to maintain and plant the seeds for a lot of the events that unfold down the road uh, within canon. Um, a lot of the ideologies that we see explored in the Skywalker saga, um, those are kind of hinted at and foreshadowed um, in these books as well, which is something we'll get into a lot um, in this episode, I feel like, um, or at least I plan to, and Jacob, just as a Jedi in the High Republic, will have to adapt or react to that as I go into it. Um, but yeah, it just does a, a really good job of telling a Star Wars story that captures the exploration and the adventure that Star Wars has a reputation for while still being able to tell a new kind of story in a, in a new kind of narrative with completely brand new characters. And that's not always easy to do. Um, as far as the Fallen Star goes, um, we've talked about it a couple times now with uh, the new Canon Star Wars books. Um, Jacob and I are huge fans of the author. Uh, um, Claudia Gray um, is probably uh, the most talented writer we've seen so far with <laughs> the Star Wars canon stuff. Um, everything she puts out is just um, at least a tier above um, everything else it feels like. And that's not to disparage any of the other stuff that's coming out. It's just the fact that Claudia Gray is just such a talented writer as far as her her prose, which is very flowing, very easy to read, as well as um, her character work. And uh, character work isn't always easy to do when you're coming in at the last step of a um, sequential story that's being told. <laughs> um, as Claudia Gray is here, um, I'm bringing to life the last book in a trilogy of the first High Republic phase. But she's really able to show off her talent by um, taking what the other authors of the previous books have done and using that as a foundation for this really impressive way to cap off this first kind of collective time point of the High Republic stuff. So, um, so for me, I mean, as someone who was already enjoying the High Republic stuff um, in Phase 1, as someone who really enjoys uh, the writings of Claudia Gray in general. Uh, the Fallen Star, I think, um, is fantastic. It feels like there are real stakes um, going on throughout it. Um, it takes um, turns and twists that you don't always s s see coming. And it really ends on, on kind of a down note, uh, which is interesting. It kind of does a um, Empire Strikes Back thing where it kind of ends with not the most positive or hopeful um, glimpse into the future for the heroes that we love. Um, so yeah, um, I think it's a really, really great way to kind of end this first step in the High Republic journey that we um, have taken so far. Um, and yeah, I think it really was a, a kind of the breath of fresh air uh, that um, a lot of people were asking for when it came um, to Star Wars stories. Yeah, I'm I, I'm so glad you mentioned uh, Claudia Gray uh, very very early on in this because I can't 
I can't remember. We we have already covered Lost Stars um, <laughs> of hers, which is another fantastic book that everyone should read. Um, even if you're not a Star Wars fan, go check that book out. It's it's incredible. Um, but I can't remember if I read this one or that one first before. And, and but but what's funny is as I knew that like whichever one I read first told me that the other one was going to be a very very good and be rough to get through <laughs> mm-hmm. sure. um, and uh and you know this book is this book is no no different than lost stars in that in that regard um because because like you said you know it, there are so many great writers in the higher public and so many great writers of the new canon um and some great writers of old canon as well um but it does seem like i don't know man there, there's something about there's something about the way that he writes that really it, it simultaneously just it breathes such life into into kind of the 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 world of Star Wars, which we already know and love, but at the and, and remains familiar, but at the same time brings you something brand new to where you feel so much for these characters and the world surrounding and the world surrounding mm-hmm. them. Um, yeah, she's she's absolutely incredible. Um, and, and on that note, I mean, we're we're gonna we are. I'm ready to get into one into my first main question. Um, yeah. Because the the older Al, the older I've gotten, um, and of course we've we've discussed this at length. Uh, I know I know Josh definitely has on the times that he's been on here. Um, it's true. We are very old. <laughs> we we are we are. Um, but we've discussed this subject at length length of. What are our thoughts of the Jedi Order at the, to, you know, we see them in the Clone Wars, you know, that's kind of the twilight of the Jedi Order. Um, but what are our thoughts of the Jedi Order in in this book? Because in my, in my opinion, this is what, in A New Hope, when Obi-Wan says the Jedi is regarding as a peace and, and, and justice in the galaxy, this is when, this is what he is thinking of when he says that to Luke. Um, but I'm curious, Al, what are your thoughts on the Jedi Order kind of as a whole, particularly in how they're handling the the Nile up to this point and where they are at the start at throughout the majority of this book? Yeah, for sure. So for the Jedi, I think there's um, a couple ways to really approach that question. So so up to the point of having the High Republic, as part of the, of the new canon, um, up to that point, we had really the only glimpse into what the Jedi were, uh, the purpose, their true purpose, and what it was, from primarily the Clone War stuff. And then, if you go into the old canon, it goes a bit more into like um, the old Republic and what the Jedi were like then, um, um, and so on from that. But here in the Clone Wars, he said um, that like that era of star Wars is really kind of the twilight of the Jedi um, or the purpose of of this discussion. um, I would like to use this similar kind of term there where, you know, the clone wars version of the Jedi order was kind of like um, in the, in the winter of this existence, right? It's kind of in its last season as we lead up to like the rise of the empire and the dark times um, of the timeline 
And so it's really kind of in the winter of its life where, you know, things are are kind of starting to get foggy for the Jedi. Um, uh, there's a lot of questions facing them. Uh, they aren't handling their people very well. There are questions at every turn of what they should do, what role they are really being called to meet um, at the time. And so you see the cracks begin to show, and then gradually you see the dissolution of who the Jedi were. Um, whereas we pick up, you know, uh, with the High Republic and the very first book by Charles Soule with Light of the Jedi, and you get this impression that even though they are meeting a lot of obstacles and a lot of interference and a new threat, that this is like, in retrospect, and in comparison, this is more the summer of the Jedi Order, right? This is where they're in. They're completely developed. They've they know what their identity is. They know the role they should play. They're very good at playing that role, and they have faith in their order. They have faith in their function in the galaxy, and they have faith that. Um, their understanding of the Force is what is truly trying to guide them through the galaxy. Um, as Phase 1 goes on from that first book into the into Rising Storm and now into The Fallen Star uh, by Claudia Gray, you start to see that kind of change and you start to see this period of the High Republic kind of transform from, from what you thought was the summer of the Jedi Order a bit more into the autumn of the Jedi Order, where um, the cracks aren't quite there, the problems that plague the Jedi um, into the future during the Clone Wars and, and beyond aren't, aren't obvious, they aren't overt. But you do start to see some of those ideologies kind of creep up in different characters. You see some of the... some of the issues like um, pride and role confusion and various things kind of creep up in some of the issues that they have to deal with. Um, and so I think it was really clever in this phase one of the High Republic books to kind of show that transition in that it kind of showed what the Jedi themselves were kind of transitioning into as well. We we really kind of feel that real in-universe perspective of it, of going from, you know, where we are the Jedi, we are on the light and life, we are um, the people who keep the peace, who, who maintain the life and beauty within the galaxy, and that slowly start to show some of the cracks and some of the limitations in that, to kind of say, oh, well, even though we aren't, there yet we aren't at the point of you know on the council trying to bully an orphan who lost his family we <laughs> we aren't there yet but <laughs> we are starting to see some of the avenues and some of the trails that uh, the jedi are starting to go on that are inevitably going to lead up to that point in the canon so um, i think this book is we're really, not really an orphan but we're, we're not opposed to it Right, right. Just like, <laughs> just like, an orphan. No, no. But like, 
um, a kid we kidnapped away from their family? Like, I don't know, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> there is a difference. Um, so, like, we start to see w- where the transition from point A to point B is starting to happen, if that makes sense, here at the end of, of phase one, uh, which I think was a really clever way to write this first trilogy of the main books is to show that like oh yeah everything's awesome this is what this is what like the old heads of the jedi like thought about when they thought of the jedi order and how amazing they were and then that slow kind of discovery of "Mm, perhaps the jedi aren't as flawless even at this point in the high republic as people may have initially thought and so i thought it was a really interesting way to kind of um, weave on that story here in that first phase. Yeah, I, um, I, I, it's interesting because this is one of the few, this is one of the few productions, like, you know, the, the higher public just in general. I don't know how it's going to end. Like, yeah. I have, I have no idea what's going to happen in phase yeah. three. <laughs> um, and, and I think, I think you're right. I think that's very deliberate and I think that's very, I, I think they definitely want to kind of turn some heads with how we are viewing the Jedi going forward. Um, I think that's kind of one of the things that really that they've been trying to do the last couple of years, in all honesty, um, is this different idea of what does it truly mean to be a guardian in the galaxy, uh, in in the galaxy, a, gu- uh, a guardian uh, of the galaxy. <laughs> That, I am sold on that crossover. <laughs> yes, please. Give me Groot and Grogu now. Yes. Someone um, please hand Rocket Raccoon a lightsaber. Perhaps, oh, oh God, that no one would survive. Um, um but no, I, I I think they are definitely I think that's definitely a thought, especially I think Stillen is definitely a a product of the way that the Jedi have been thinking is wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that Stellan is definitely a product in of that in the sense of, you know, and, and I'm, and I'm not saying that Elzar is perfect. I'm not saying that Avar is perfect. I, I think both of them have very interesting arcs or all, all three of them really do. Um, but I think that he is – I think that Stellan in this one is very much a victim of of what he has always thought the Jedi to be and the ideal of what the Jedi should be really kind of ends up screwing him over in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's and it, 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 it's 100% a tragedy. And, you know, it's – and it's – another reason I'm so intrigued to, to read Phase 3 is seeing how – Avar and Elzar react to that, um, especially with Elzar Man, which we will. I, I promise you, we're going to get to that here in a bit. Um, mm. But, um, but yeah, I just i I think it is interesting how they did want to how they did want to. Good Lord, my sentencing. Uh, <laughs> I think it is interesting to see how they were trying to write that kind of style to where we are, we are seeing kind of the early cracks. Like, like you said, you know, the, we're, we're not bullying kids and we're not opposed to it yet. Um, kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, no, I just think it, I, I, I think it's just, it just works really, really well. 
Um, especially with this one, because of course, with the central, with the central problem, of course, being that Starlight Beacon, this kind of grandiose symbol to the galaxy that the Jedi and the Republic are in control, is all of a sudden coming under a massive attack that they did not see coming at all. Um, to be fair, um, the Nile are not an easy, they are far from an easy, uh, opposition. Um, mm. and of course, one of the main reasons for that is the levelers. And the reason, the reason I'm bringing them up so early is because we cannot talk about, in, in my opinion, we cannot talk about the rest of this book before we talk about the state of the force within this timeline. Mm. Um, now, I have discussed this at, with with my brother before um, because he doesn't really like the idea of the levelers and he doesn't like the idea of the, uh, I think, I know we have said it 17 different ways, but the Yesomari in the Thrawn trilogy. Right, right, We're, yeah. Go with that. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Let's go. <laughs> yes, Amari. Yeah, perfect. I think my uh, secret goal is to try to get you to say that word in a new way for every episode of Star Wars this year. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's going to be that difficult. Um, <laughs> but um, it's a, oh no, no, it does. It does also re- remind me of the Issa Yamahuhas as well. Issa Yamahuha, yeah. Um, oh, the, the, the Yuzon Vong as well, and uh, and the new New Republic storylines and different things like that. Yeah, sure. So basically, sure. any anything, and and from what I have, and of course he's he is not with us right now. But from uh, whenever he listens to this, uh, he will most likely smack me and say I'm misquoting him. But from what I've come to understand is that <laughs> he doesn't like the idea of something being able to cut someone off from the Force. Um. Strictly because of the idea of that Yoda says in Empire Strikes Back of the force binds us and is all around us. And it's something that is always with us. Um, So I do want to clarify something, at least in my opinion. And of course, any any Star Wars theorist or or anyone could, you know, feel free to at me and and, and be like, you were absolutely wrong. But this is the way I, I, I read what Yoda says in Empire Strikes Back. And this is the way that I see that this being different. Um, at least with the levelers. I I, I can't, I, I haven't read all of the Thrawn trilogy yet. So I can't 100% say about the Yesel Maraha Huhas. Um, <laughs> And uh, and I haven't, and oddly enough, I have not read a single Yuzon Vong book, so we might need to fix that sometime uh, during this segment. Um, I, I mean, sure. Like, <laughs> there's, I'm, not, I'm not trying to hate on the new Jedi Order books. I do hate on the fact that there's like 18 of them, and that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, but anyway, I digress. Yes. Um, but I know for at least the levelers, this is the way that I take what Yoda is saying and why I think the levelers actually do work as a – as basically – as for lack of a better term, a nullifier to the Force. Um, when Yoda talks about the Force binding us and connecting us and being all around us, I view it that more in the sense of the living Force, which – a lot of people have talked about before as the living force is basically how um, force ghosts happen, how Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and even Yoda and Anakin eventually become 
Force Ghost. Um, and Luke. And and Luke. Yes, 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 yes. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yes. And Luke. Uh, you can't leave and, off Luke. Uh, <laughs> and, and Leia. That's true. <laughs> um, and and I am fully aware that we may look back on what I am about to say here about the Force uh, after like Ahsoka season two or whatever else Dave Filoni has up his sleeve and be like, Jacob was an idiot here. Um, but I view the living force being what connects the universe and what surrounds everyone, but being force sensitive and being able to tap into the force and work with it and utilize it the same way that I would view, say, like, like almost like an athletic ability. And, and, and what I mean by that is like in the sense of, you know, if I can 100% go about onto a basketball court and maybe dribble a ball a little bit and maybe make a shot or two. Um, Jason Tatum, on the other hand, can, you know, would be able to come out and absolutely destroy me on the court. Okay. That's kind of how I view the force in this sense, where everyone has some semblance of it within them. Everyone has the ability to eventually maybe tap into it, but some are a way more naturally talented and B um, have worked at it to be that way. Um, same way that there are certain people who are force sensitive that it just lies dormant within them for years. Um, so that's kind of how I, I kind of take the differences of what the force means. So for me, particularly the way that they explain the levelers and the way that they describe what happens to them or to their victims, I take it almost as the idea of they are feeding off of every ounce of force energy within the people that they are effect effectively consuming. Um, because if you if you are new to this to the levelers or you haven't new to this part of it, they talk about how basically um, what is left is a petrified husk, um, someone who is just completely drained of their energy, their life, just everything. Um, lo, uh, when when it happens to Loden and the end of is it, it's the end of Rising Storm, right? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. I'm I'm, I'm mixing events. <laughs> um, in phase two, there is a there are two horrifying moments when it happens. Um, in a book called Path of Deceit, um, which kind of explains where the levelers come from, and kind of some ways it kind of um, does. Yeah. <laughs> kind of does. We'll, we might get more of that later. We 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 have it. We, Al and I are kind of behind on our readings of phase two, but um, you know, you know. A little uh, bit generous use of the word <laughs> of the word kind of, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let me rephrase. It shows up randomly. And it's, it's, it's in an egg, so yeah, I, uh, mean, I mean, there is a leveler in that book. I, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it it talks about, and I, I think this is also to Claudia Gray's credit and the way that she writes it. Um, it talks about how the feeling that you have whenever you are around one, if you are force sensitive, um, how it is this overwhelming, pardon the pun, force that is just causing you, you know, anxiety, despair, 
um, fear being the primary one, just this overwhelming fear. And of course, the entire point of the Jedi Code and what they really believe in is putting those emotions to the side so that you were able to be a conduit for the Force itself. So I personally like the Levelers as as a villain um, because I think they do present a... One, uh, the, the horror fan in me definitely loves them because they are utterly terrifying. Um, but two, there's also... It adds an interesting turn into the this kind of idea where you have these super powerful beings and the Jedi, but then all of a sudden something bigger and stronger is right there. And <clears throat> for me, that's kind of why this works so well. Um, and also in the sense, once again, sticking with the idea of the Force being all around and the Force being um, helping people no matter what and, ha- and you know having different effects – um, in the comics, which connect into this, there's a character um, named Skier, which is how I'm going to stick with saying his name. Just really pronounce that. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> he is a Trandoshan, which is already awesome. He's incredible. He's Jedi I love Skier. Who, I love Skier so much. He is a Jedi who has um, already lost his connection to the Force. Or he he has effectively kind of turned it off. Um and it kind of works out that way because there's a point in the comic where basically he's the only one that can really fight these things because he doesn't have a connection to the force at the time. So it's, I don't know. It is definitely an abstract construct, uh, abstract construct in that sense of where <clears throat> you have the force kind of all around you and you have the force kind of doing things that, there is the will of the force and it's connecting everyone, but being able to draw on it is something that is completely different and kind of on the side. Um, after all that rambling <laughs> about the force and what, and what, why it works and why the levelers work in this out, what are your thoughts on, on the levelers and how they are used? And do you, do you agree with that sentiment in that it is different kind of the force is kind of utilized in different ways uh, within this? Yeah. Um, well, just a little bit of trivia for everybody. Um, uh, that was almost uh, on the name of our show. Um, it was almost called All That Rambling About the Force. Uh, we <laughs> went with a different name instead. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's hard to fit that on a shirt. So, you know, sure. we went with sure. a different yeah. name. Because um, the Star Wars EU or Ear Review is way... <laughs> <laughs> it rolls Wait, off the top a lot more. <laughs> but um, yeah, so so I will say, as far as the conflict between the Jedi and the Levelers and what the Levelers are able to do across these books, um, um, I kind of uh, I kind of agree and kind of t- t- disagree with you here. Um, I kind of agree and kind of disagree with Josh as well, um, uh, which is just how Josh and I live. Um, but uh, the reason I say that is the example that I have kind of started to use 
whenever I think about things like this, whenever I think about the force, whenever I think about force sensitivity, just because that was a popular item of of discussion the last few months um, after Oka came out, a lot of uh, discussion and questions about what force sensitivity really means. Um, The example that I've kind of used to base a lot of my understanding on um, is that um, it comes from um, the comic book, The Rise of Kylo Ren, um, written, I believe, by Charles Soule, who's the architect of the High Republic. Um, So in The Rise of Kylo Ren, there is a scene, it takes place before The Force Awakens, and there's a scene at the New Jedi Academy where Luke Skywalker is going through some instructions for um, his students who are training to be on the New Jedi Order. Um, and there is one of his students who's kind of struggling with one of the lessons he's trying to teach. And she says to Luke, you know... Um, um, it isn't fair. Um, I'm not good at this. I'm not as powerful in the force as Ben is. Um, and Ben, uh, as we all know, eventually goes on to become Kylo Ren. Um, and Luke Skywalker, um, he takes some time to kind of talk to his student who is having these issues with her confidence um, and her connection to the force. And the example that Luke uses here is that it really isn't a matter of some beings are more powerful in the force than others in like some inherent natural way he says that the force is something that is connected to all of us and for some people the door we go through to connect with the force is a bit more open to some than it is to others. But everybody has the potential to open the door more if they focus on their connection to the Force, if they focus on their connection to others through the Force. So it's a matter of, you know, in a way, everybody has equal potential to experience the force and to connect through it and be able to to follow the will of the force it's just a matter of some people start out start out with the door a lot more open some people start out with it a bit more closed and the individual has the option to strive to open the door more or in some cases as we do with skier as we see with else our man and this as we see with luke skywalker in the last jedi they also have the option to try to close that door or to t- t- turn away from the force. So what I see happening with that in mind with the Evlers is that the Evlers aren't really having an effect on the force. It's not a matter of that. What I'm seeing that as is that the Evlers are having an effect on the Jedi. Um, and what the Evelers are doing is that the Evelers are using their influence, using whatever naturally occurring abilities they have to to obfuscate or to or to become an obstacle 
to the Jedi who are trying to open that door and are trying to embrace the Force um, and connect with it and things like that. So it really isn't a matter, as far as I've understood it, of levelers being able to to put a dampening on the force or to or to take the force away from the jedi it's just a matter of them placing themselves in the way of their journey into the force and their connection into it this is why um when the jedi kind of start to realize what's going on that they start to ask um the civilians on the station to go and do some of the tasks in the area that seem to be where um, the Evers are because it's not that those people aren't connected to the force it's that their doors are a lot more closed already so they don't have as averse effects to that obstacle being there because the door to the force isn't as natural a part of their lives as it is to the Jedi. So to me, that's kind of the function that the levelers serve. Not so much any effect on the force itself, but a lot more so on the abilities of the force-sensitive people to connect to the force and be able to use the force in that way. Because we see um, in this book, when the stakes are high and when there is something there to tether the Jedi to the greater sense of the force. Um, and we see else our man, especially repeatedly able to use the force, even though it's harder than it usually is, he's still able to do so either because there's something he cares about that is fueling him to open that door more or because there is someone out in the midst of the force already through the doors someone like of our chris who is acting as an anchor to him as he tries to access the force so that's kind of the understanding that i have gotten from what the levelers are able to do here and why i don't really have an issue with how they're used here i will say i want to read the draft of these books that did not have them in it that was way more a conflict just between the order of the jedi and the chaos of the high hill without any of the force stuff happening um i think that would have also made for a really interesting story but in the context of that um and my understanding of what the force is um in that world um uh, that's kind of why i don't really have an issue with the levelers and the role they play if that makes sense no, I think I think that absolutely makes sense, and I really like your i I really like your interpretation of the of, of or, or, or I really like that interpretation of the force. Um, <clears throat> and I, th I think you're absolutely correct. And I am <laughs> I I would kind of like to see that draft as well. Like where <laughs> how how would you do this story without them? Uh, yeah. Um, I'm also really glad that you mentioned the civilians um, because that is my next uh, my next thing that I really wanted to get into before we get into um, our main like I'd say three or four main heroes really mm -hmm. in this book. Um, but the civilians in this 
they their their story arc really kind of really kind of encapsulates why I loved the higher public idea so much and the way that these were being written because we've heard so many people talk about, you know, the, you know, uh, I've heard a lot of criticism about stuff like Andor because they're like, it doesn't feel like star Wars. And I'm so tired of that. <laughs> that I, know. Statement. I, and, and I know, I know. I, and that's, and that's that what I'm ultimately the saying. Day I heard it. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm ultimately saying because I I understand the idea of like the the classical, you know, space fantasy fun wild aspects, you know, the force and there's lightsabers and there's all the all the craziness. And I understand that. I do. Um and and I don't want to get too much into like Andor because there were that's that's next uh, spoiler alert that's next month's se- segment. So, oh boy. Um, <laughs> um, but one of the things I really liked about how this book utilizes this aspect is taking the Star Wars universe, what we know about it, the different thing, the things that are very very different, but utilizing. Utilizing it in a way as a backdrop for a situation that we have seen in other films or other shows or other books and adding their own kind of fresh spin to it. In this case, we have the claustrophobia, paranoia, and just anxious weight within the entire story arc of the civilians stuck in the it's like a it's a hangar bay isn't it basically um, essentially uh, yeah essentially yeah yeah it's where because, the ships come in and dock yes after they've entered yeah. the station because because effectively what has happened is various and of course there's a lot of a lot of different things have happened to make this book happen it's um people want to talk about the joker's plan and dark knight being convoluted marcion Rowe laughed at that um <laughs> is um because starlight beacon is currently at the start of this um hovering over the planet i irem is that how you say it sure R-A-M? Sure, yeah. yeah. Sure, why not? We'll go with Hiram. Um, Everybody at Star Wars, we are going to continue to not pronounce things right until you put an appendix at the end of your books. <laughs> Amen. What? <laughs> like, nothing but love, but yes, you've got to put something in there. Um, but, uh, but so it's, it's hovering over this planet that's already having issues with, like, this big... There's a massive like storm happening while also there's a uh, there's an uprising and like a rebellion happening at the same time, if I remember correctly. Um, It's I know that seems like a lot and I feel bad because it is definitely secondary to what else happens in this book. Um, But that's just one thing. But because of it, there are different refugees that are wanting to stay at Starlight Beacon and then there are other ships all across the galaxy that are coming to Starlight Beacon. So you literally so it's literally the concept of, you know, people from all different walks of life being stuck inside this docking bay and being told they cannot leave. And then from there that's 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 your setup basically. The entire book could have just been about that, about like this random docking bay um and people and like losing power and people getting stuck. Um 
And then, of course, you also have the overarching story with the Jedi and everything from there. Um, but I just really liked that concept, and I really liked how they how they utilized it. But, Al, I, I am curious, did, did you feel the same way? Did you kind of enjoy adding in that conflict with them as well to where you also are kind of – where the Jedi are also trying to, once again, be the guardians of peace um, amidst all these wild and crazy personalities, basically? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, it – it goes to show both, you know, the more internal conflicts of what is going on with the Jedi, um, as well as, um, you know, the just the potency of or Sean Rowe as a villain. Um, I think it's so interesting. I kind of, in this book specifically, I kind of compare row in this book to that of like Hannibal Hector in Silence of the Lambs where he really isn't f- featured that heavily. He's got a few perspectives uh, that happens um, throughout the book, but um, he doesn't really actively do anything in this book. It's just him kind of enjoying his plans kind of coming to f- fruition um uh just like how you know in silence of the lambs um able hector he's there he's having input he's kind of trying to guide the hips of the events that happen in that book even though he's not really the main bad guy in it uh, i just wanted to go ahead and clarify that comparison before everyone <laughs> thought i was insane <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, that chapter where Marchand Rowe just like eats a human being was really off putting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, there's. Um, and so that was really um, effective there because um, this entire book, um, just all the various factors, all the wrenches that are getting thrown into plans, all of these. Factors that come up that complicate an already bad situation and putting more and more stress and pressure and panic onto the Jedi um, as all these things are happening. Um, It's basically, um, as is detailed in one of the perspectives that Marshawn Rowe has in the book, I mean, Rowe just gets to sit back and watch as the Jedi um, not only fail, but they fail with an audience in front of them, um, both in the civilians that are on the station with them who, like, are are really having a rubber band effect of either being extremely helpful or just, like, the worst. <laughs> and as well as um, the planet that is being threatened by the debris of starlight colliding with the c- city on the coast, as well as just the the Star Wars equivalent of the internet called the Hollow Net, just um, broadcasting the fall of starlight as it happens. And so um, it really highlights the fact that the Jedi are are at a place where, you know, they're stretched really thin from other attacks by the High Hill. Um, they're... Eatership is kind of splintered because Stellan is on Starlight now, trying to hold everything together. 
and Avar Chris, um, after finally taking care of the Drengear threat, which is something that happens in the comics, um, she went on this this crusade to track down Orna D, who she thinks is the eye of the eye hill, even though she really isn't. And so she's off and doing her thing. And else our man is like having a prolonged therapy session on this entirely other planet. And, and Yoda is just off doing God knows what Yoda's doing. <laughs> and and um, I know that that's answered in the uh, High Republic Adventure comics, which I've chosen not to read yet because I just really love the idea um, of him just being out on the outer rib of the galaxy, just like on a treasure hunt or something, just, <laughs> just hanging out. Um, but, and so you see, you know, the leadership is starting to splinter a bit. All these pressures are going on to the Jedi in general and onto Stellan specifically. And as this is all happening, you know, the entire Republic is watching this unfold. So the stakes increase beyond even just, you know, the station of Starlight being destroyed and all the lives being lost, but also this, this tragedy of status, this fall of the reputation of the Jedi as these peacekeepers, as these competent um, figures who are supposed to take care of the galaxy and them just continuously being stretched and being thwarted and being shown to really not have as good a handle on the galaxy as people thought. So, yeah, I think all of those factors kind of come together to really show what's really at stake uh, throughout this book. And the stakes are really good at being expansive from very small to, to you know, the welfare of individuals to what the symbol of the Jedi is and how it changes as this tragedy is unfolding. Yeah, I um, yeah, dude, I I, I completely agree. Um, I mean, it just it just it just like I said, man, it's th that's kind of the weird part about this book is that I have no notes. It's it's so good, like it just it just works so well. Yeah, um, and like it's one of those things that like um, it really strikes through where um, the last episode of the show we did was uh, the second book of the Throne trilogy, yeah. where like so much stuff happens. And Dark Force Rising, it's insane. And like, and you need a chart to like see where the characters are and see and see what faction of people are doing what at any given point. And it's kind of like weird, kind of hiplash going from that to the Fallen Star, where really only one thing happens. Yeah, <laughs> in the Fallen Star, and you just kind of follow each character's experience of that one thing happening. That one so, thing. Yeah. so it's kind of a weird kind of comparison there to, to, to go from that book to this book. Both books are very good in their own right, of course, but, but yes, no, sure. I, I, I completely agree. Um, but you, you did mention, of course, you did mention the, the various Jedi characters. And uh, of course that, I mean, you you've done very well on leading me into my next question. <laughs> it's, um, it's what I do. It's what you do, or or at least my my next talk talking points. Um, 
Everybody, I swear the show isn't scripted. We just are. <laughs> it, it is. It is not. <laughs> you know, we're just drift compatible. You know, we are. We, we are, we are pi- piloting the Jaeger that is Star Wars EU or you. You were you, yes. Um, no, you have you have heard me ramble far too much to know it to, to already know it's not scripted. Um, but um, no, I I was I was really curious about your thoughts because really it if I have one small complaint about this book and it's strictly because she's off doing other th- other things, um, Avar Chris is not is not ma- like a prevalent force in this book she is constantly mentioned and she is a force while not being there um in a lot of ways i'm wondering if that's intentional in that you have marcian roe who is a force who is far away but then you also have avar chris who is a force who is far away um wonder if they're maybe trying to kind of set something up there Mm. um but no, this is this is one hundred percent. If you have to, if you have to pick two main characters, you you pick Elzar Man and Stellan Gios. Um and of course my my boy Bell, my, my, Bell Zedifar. Um, of course, of course. But um, um, I was really curious about your thoughts on Stellan and Elzar in this because of course they really, they really they they both. In my opinion, they strengthen their bond by by sending challenge after challenge after it in this in this one. Um, so I was curious, kind of what your what your thoughts were in a war, particularly with Elzar Man and his journey um, following the Rising Storm, leading up into into this. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot there as far as those characters go. Um, of course, Mathel's our man. For anybody who needs a refresher, um, uh, during the rising storm, we see Els our man. You know, really um, stretched to his limit as far as responding to the just utter chaos and violence that happens when the Republic Fair is attacked by the Nihil, and uh, he ends up through stress, through through desperation, through a lot of things. Elzar Man um, eventually taps into the dark side. Um, I mean, uses of the dark side to to protect those around him, but also in a much more meaningful way to lash out um, against his enemies. Um, and so, um, this, of course, um, I'm sure nobody could ever forget the observation I made of. Of you know, if I was a Jedi, uh, trying trying to clean things up at that attack, and I randomly see just bolts of purple horse lightning shoot into the sky, then my first reaction is going to be, "Oh my God, they have a Sith. <laughs> <laughs> this is things are the worst they have ever been." <laughs> but um, no, that was Elzar Man. It's fine. Um, so um, we see at the beginning of this book. And into kind of about up to like this 60% point or so of the story, we see that that is continuing to have an effect on Elzar Man. That um, essentially um, he was given a sabbatical of sorts from Stellan to go to a different planet and 
focus on his training, focus on trying to realign himself with the force in a positive way. Um, he goes basically into semi-solitude to focus on that with um, everyone's favorite Jedi waste speaker, Orla Arini, mm-hmm. um, who's an incredible character. And um, and so he goes and trains with her, and she helps to kind of realign him with the Force, kind of figure out um, what about his connection to the Force is causing him to question himself, um, what about him is causing him to, to give himself over so easily to rage and frustration and things like that. So we see Elzar Mann kind of go on this personal journey where um, he um, essentially, for all intents and purposes, has kind of cut himself off from the Force in a lot of ways. Where he hasn't turned his back on it, he hasn't refused to commune with the Force, but he is very hesitant and very scared to tap into the Force in the way that he used to, because he is scared of what he might do if he does. Um, And so we see him kind of struggle with that, to the point that when he arrives on Starlight Station and the Evlers are going about um, and the Jedi are reportedly, you know, having issues with um, healing the Force, with being able to tap into their connection and things like that, Eltsar Man is not as as affected by that because he has already kind of imitated himself to the Force in that way. And so we see him kind of go through this journey where he goes from being very unsure of himself to essentially realizing that he needs to step up because he sees what this this obf- uh, this obfuscation from the levelers is doing to his friends. And he realizes that if he's going to face this, if he's going to help people, then he can't be afraid to tap into the force again. Um, and then, of course, towards the end of the book, we see him give into his rage again. Um, he kills one of the side characters. Um, um, Chancy Yarrow, is that her name? Yes. Saying that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, he kills her because he thinks that she is a part of the High Hill and is trying to sabotage the station even more than it has been. And he realizes a mistake that he made. And then, um, of course, the end of the book um, comes kind of fast as Starlight is continuing <laughs> to rush into the atmosphere of the planet that they're on. Um, so we don't get a lot of resolution there on that last um, step of his journey. But what that journey that Elsar Man is on, uh, what that does is acts as kind of a counter-reflection, if that makes sense, to the journey that Helen is on. Because if Elzar Man is struggling with his confidence and his ability to safely and positively use the Force, then Stellan is struggling with almost an overconfidence in his own abilities and an overconfidence in the in the organization that is the Jedi instead of in the connection to the force that the Jedi have. So we see 
Stellan have this journey of where he feels very self-important. He feels the pressures and the burdens of being the essentially the face of the council and having to deal with all these responsibilities and these images of the Jedi, as well as responding to this attack that happens. And so we see him just like really get taken out by the Hevelers, um, both due to the natural effect they have on him, but also due, I would argue, to the already instability that he feels. Mm. Uh, he has this really interesting interaction with um, with Orla, where she basically questions him and says, you know, you have all this faith in in the Jedi and in the Council, and that's kind of replacing, you know, your own relationship and your own standing with of the Force itself. And that kind of uh, that kind of ideological clash to me is really interesting. Um, one because I think that kind of harkens back to um, the differences we see in the Clone Wars era or just before the Clone Wars era between the Jedi Council and Qui-Gon Jinn, uh, where Qui-Gon Jinn is much more a believer in the living will of the Force, of the Force as an active agent, essentially all its own, that um, you must feel and, and understand and follow the will of, rather than this more static thing that can be understood as it is that um, the council kind of abides to. So you see kind of this, this early version of that conflict of ideas there um, between Orla and Stellan. And so you see the journey that Stellan goes on where he has all these pressures and he's starting to question his own role in, in the force and in the will of the force. And he gets taken out essentially by the Evelers and he has to rely on his friend and Elzar to kind of help him realign and kind of discover a new way to understand what his connection to the Force really means. And that kind of culminates in his ultimate sacrifice to, to become one with the Force, to sacrifice himself for the safety of, of the victims on the planet below as essentially he goes down with the ship um, of Starlight. So, you know, it, it's really interesting because it's an important relationship and it's almost a relationship between two characters that is built on the flaws of those characters. It's those flaws and those struggles that they have to undergo that explains why they become such good complements to each other and such good supports to each other. And I think that that kind of relationship isn't what you'd expect to see at first of going into something called the high Republic, but it's really important to show that um, a lot of times, you know, those struggles and those challenges that we face and we overcome are often providing those insights that we need to help others. If you want to take kind of a prescriptive idea from on that story being told. Yeah, I uh, I think you hit the nail on the head, especially Stellan. Stellan is kind of my standout in this book, um, just because of the, like you said, the the 
the idea the the overconfidence and everything that he has to deal with and but also still the pressures of the Jedi order you know and and trying to work within the confines of it while also still doing the right thing and and his entire arc in this is probably my favorite part of the book um and i just i i i really just liked the way that I don't know. There, there was something. There was something just really. I don't even know if it's really wholesome, but I guess, I guess cathartic about seeing someone mm. struggle that much internally, yeah. um, and not in the sense of not even in the sense of like, you know, well, I go to the light side or the dark side, you know, and 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 no, nothing against you know nothing against Anakin's journey, nothing against you know even Luke's or, or Elzar's in the in this case, but. Seeing Stellan be someone who is 100% on the light side, but still struggles within his own insecurities and his own his own abilities. That that was something that I thought was really refreshing, and, and I just really, really enjoyed seeing in this. Um, yeah, just a fantastic character. Um, but on... On that note, um, if, if Stellan's my favorite of this, Al, I'm, I'm curious. Who, do you have a particular favorite character that is kind of your your main pick for your, your favorite character in, in this, in this book, man. I mean, there is a real part of me who wants to say it's Eod. But Eod is, like, is wonderful. Yeah. Just a gangster, man. He's the best. Uh, <laughs> for, for, for those who have forgotten, um, Eod is the, I'm saying Venetian, um, which I I know is not. He's the, yeah. He <laughs> he hails from the from the Star Wars planet of Venice. <laughs> yeah. No I, know, no, I know, but that's but that's the like you said. Until we have an an, an appendice, uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know another way to to say the what he is in his planet. Um, so yes, I'm gonna go with he is a Venetian. <laughs> yep, yep. Yep, um, <laughs> who basically just looks like a giant rock, and I will never That's forget great. the. I read this book first, and then I told Al, I was like, "You need to, you need to sit down, you need to read this." Um, and I will never forget getting a text that just said, "I am so upset they waited this long to introduce Geode." Which at that point we had not read a whole lot of the of the young adult or uh, young reader novels. And Geode is introduced in one of those first, and then he shows back up in this. Um, and he makes it out alive is another thing. So he is so Geode will live forever, hopefully. He um, will. I I hope we see an appearance of of Geode in in um in the new, in the new Jedi Order films. Sorry, Daisy Ridley. Yes. <laughs> be amazing. I have. He has seen so much. <laughs> he is um, incredible, but um. No, yeah. um, if I had to choose um, one character, though, that um, I really, really enjoy, and it's probably my favorite in this book, um, Uriaga, man, like yeah. he's he's the man. Um, there is um, so s- s- spoilers for the end of this book, everybody. Um, Uriaga. Um, essentially sacrifices himself um, in order to save the rest of the civilians that are trapped on the station. 
as it is gradually colliding into the atmosphere of the planet. Um, he he sacrifices himself to, to fight off like two or three Rathars that like have been hunting him and Elsar Man this entire time, and um, it's just this really it's just this really awesome scene where Elsar Man is like frantic and trying to tap into the Force and trying to figure out a way to help um, his his new young friend and. Uriaga, at this point, is a Jedi Padawan who is known for having a special, um, a special sense of empathy. Um, essentially, he's able to tap into the emotional states of others, and uh, that's kind of his like special talent he has within the Force is that he's able to do that. So in this situation, of course, where everybody is stressed and scared and isn't sure if they're going to survive by the end of the day, Uriaga is constantly there, constantly in the background of scenes, um, like helping the children on the station. He's there trying to, to settle down the civilians who are kind of agitated and at, and at each other's throats. He's there to be a constant kind of companion and source of comfort for Bell's Edifar, um, who is just, who these books have just not been kind to um, in any way. Um, and so as he meets his um, assumed end in this book, uh, um, of course, afterwards, Bell's Edifar is just like, you know, I don't think he's dead. I'm going to go to find him and then the book ends before we get um, any resolution on that um Uriaga is just shown as just basically throwing himself into the array of raftars and like his his claws are out and he's like doing a chewbacca-esque screech <laughs> as he like as he urges Elsar man to just abandon him he'll take care of the wrath tires just go get everybody out as fast as you can and um it's just it's just awesome it's just a satisfying um apparent conclusion to his character from being this person who who is always in touch with what others need and um and that's kind of what he he takes upon himself, even up to the very end. So uh, he's incredible. He's awesome. Yeah, I mean, fans will also uh, fans of the series will also remember that Buryaga is the reason that they understood exactly what was happening during um, the um, uh, the great hyper. Is it the hyperspace disaster? Is that what they are calling it? The, yeah. What happens at the beginning of Light of the Jedi? Yeah. Um, He's the first person to realize it's not debris, it's parts of a ship, and there are people inside, you know, and that's, yeah, but Buryaga's the man, and <laughs> he's just, he's great, um, and I, I would be surprised if they leave that open that much without, without actually bringing him back, um, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the, the the somehow Palpatine returned memes aside, uh, I would be okay with somehow Buryaga returned. I would uh, just bring bring him back. Um, we need more of him. Um, 
So, so yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with that. Um, Al, I, I'm, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to cut this short. I am actually towards the, uh, we've got our two main questions left, but I'm curious, sure. is there anything that we have not touched on that you wanted to talk about, uh, with this novel? Oh yeah. That's a good question. So, um, so we see, um, how, uh, we've already t- talked about kind of the journeys that, our man goes on and Stellan goes on as well. And then, of course, the third part of their um, triumvirate of their constellation, as Stellan would say, um, is of our Chris, who is featured very heavily in the comics up to this point, but hasn't been as heavily f- featured in the books. So, at, so of our Chris is in this book. Um, she doesn't play a huge role as she becomes a lot more prominent um, towards the end as she kind of leads a lot of the relief efforts um, on the planet after the station has crashed. And so um, just to kind of reinforce that idea from, from earlier that we kind of start to see the seeds sown on what future issues are going to um, are going to plague the Jedi on the road? Um, if we use the Clone Wars as as a primary understanding of where mm. the Jedi go, um, so the thing that has been hinted at over the course of these books that kind of comes to fruition here is the uh, intimate relationship that Elsar Man has with the Varkris, and the relationship between those three is explored a lot more and it's explored and discussed a lot more overtly in this book where um where ellen even talks about how like he always felt kind of envious of the relationship that uh, that elsar and avar had with each other and i'm not necessarily because like he was attracted to either of them, but just because, you know, that was a layer to the relationship that he did not feel and he didn't feel a part of. And so how he was always kind of envious of that relationship, of that intimacy that they had. And um, so we see, um, we see yet again, this idea of like, denying yourself these close attachments and trying to compartmentalize your relationships and the to come right out and say it because we're all adults these (laughs) actual frustration that can happen when you live that kind of um prime idealized example of what a jedi should be and we see that happen with Elsar and Avar. Um, uh, we get a much larger glimpse of it with Elsar Man because he discusses it. He discusses how he has learned from Orla um, that, um, you know, it's not just the negative oceans he feels that are starting to fray at his connection to the Force. It's the positive emotions he feels when he invests too much of his identity into them. 
And so we see this kind of like approach to kind of eating it halfway, if that makes sense, mm. of being like, you know, these relationships, they're not inherently bad. Having people who you care about is not contrary to being a Jedi. It's just that starting to lose yourself in those and starting to value those things above the general idea of serving others and connecting with the Force and maintaining peace is where s some Jedi begin to, to lose track of what their relationship with the Force is and where those deviations can eventually lead to. Um, I still think there is a bit more work to be done there, if that makes sense. That's mm -hmm. an issue. It's really interesting that that is an issue that plays so heavily into the events of, of the Clone Wars era of films, and yet feels like it's just not addressed very well in other things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's basically non-existent from the equal films. Um, um, till at the end where everyone is just like, but what if they kissed? And then, <laughs> and then that happens and it has zero bearing on, on the story at all. But um, uh, it's just interesting because this is kind of the part that feels like it's, it tries to explore that idea the most, this idea that um, attachments ultimately, even if not are bad for Jedi, but can easily lead to bad things. Uh, this is kind of the first time we see that topic breached again. However, the treatment of that discussion just like feels very unsatisfactory still. I don't know if you feel the same way about that, but especially after the reunion between Avar and Elsar man, um, especially after that, uh, uh, where they're shown to still be very invested in each other, very affectionate with each other, that um, that it still feels very shallow, uh, that whole discussion of that idea. It still feels very satisfactory. I don't know if you agree with that or, um, or not, or what's your t t take on that? Um, I... I definitely, first off, I, I definitely understand where, where you're coming from, but I also, I think they, unless this ends with Avar Chris and Elzar Man leaving the Jedi Order, they can't really do a whole lot romantically within the Jedi Order itself, just because we know that that does not change for the next 200 years. You know, you get what I'm saying sure. on that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I I definitely agree with you because there is very clearly tension and desire and I I mean I mean hell I mean it in the rising store you know the what there there is a point where where basically Elzar is like swearing at himself pretty much because he got with um oh lord I feel bad that I've forgotten her name um 
I don't remember her name either. I know who you're okay. talking about. Okay, yeah, 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 yes. <laughs> There's a lot of characters in this in these books. Um, yeah. But yes, he he gets with her, and they. I mean, I mean, it's if if they don't have sex, it is a very it is a very weirdly worded chapter. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but. After after he's like after he leaves, then the attack happens, and I think there's even a point where he basically makes like like he doesn't come out and say it, but like there is a point where like he is kind of yelling at himself about the fact of basically just like if you didn't have sex, this wouldn't have happened. You know, it's <laughs> it's not exactly what it is, yeah. but is definitely there, and I think that is something that they want to. I think that it's something within the within the higher public books that they do want to address and they do want to talk about. Um, and I like that they're doing it because I I think that this grouping of writers are the ones who are how can I put this? Um, they are sensitive enough and talented enough to be able to handle this subject with the with with the with the appropriate gravitas that 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 it deserves because the thing is is that at its you know at its core at that point you start getting into you know what is denying what is denying your desires actually have on your due to your psyche you know, he, I, I know that there's a most Star Wars writers would, would would just be like, I'm not even touching that with a ten foot pole. We are, you know, we're 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 just gonna we're just gonna have we're just gonna have fun space adventures. We're not even gonna address yeah. that. <laughs> but um, I can we imagine Dave Wolverton who wrote Courtship of Princess Leia trying to do the same thing? I mean, I, <laughs> I. I want to imagine that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that I think that'd be an entertaining train of thought to follow over a weekend. It, it, it would, it would. Um, but I do. But I think that with these writers, because even I know, I know we have made mention of of it. It's it's the only Phase Two book I have read is Path of Deceit. Um, it's very very well written. It's very good, but. Even in that, one of the core, I mean, I, I would say 30%, maybe even 40% of the main storyline features the this kind of contrast between what do the Jedi believe and what does the um, this grouping called the Path of the Open Hand believe. And talking about attachments and talking about effectively romance and love and sex is something that they definitely do address in that book. And I think, I think it is intentional every time that, it, that it's happening, because I think that we are tr- supposed to, I think that we as readers are supposed to take from that, that they, these are discussions worth having within the Jedi order of what does it truly mean to not have attachments? And what does it truly mean to, and is it, is it okay to not have attachments? Um, Cause obviously there are some Jedi that are doing just fine, but then you have other Jedi who, you know, are very distracted and going to the dark side and apparently causing the entire attack on on the uh on Valo because he had sex. Um and then you have another Jedi who uh you know basically turn I mean effectively turns on the second highest per- member of the Jedi Council and then 
proceeds to wipe out the entire Jedi Order um, because he had two children. Um, that is a very gross um, simplification of the <laughs> of the of the prequel trilogy, but you get what I'm saying. Like it's yeah. the it is a it is a subject that has not been touched yet. Like it is a subject that has always been there, but it has not been touched yet. And I think that the higher public is not only the perfect place to do it, but it is the it is the first time that you have had a grouping of writers who are. This is going to be a weird sentence, but courageous enough to do it, um, and, and are willing to tackle that kind of that kind of a subject matter. Um, sure. sure, it's just it's one of those things where it's one of those things where I don't expect it to be the central part of the story that is being mm-hmm. told. But it is one of those things where I am starting to get impatient about the lack of exploration of that theme just because, and I don't know if it's like an effect of like where, where the general direction of fiction is right now. But for for just about every High Republic book that I have read, for each of those books to have some kind of romance in them involving characters who are Jedi, it starts to get kind of frustrating when that theme is not fully addressed. It gets it to the point where, you know, it's it gets to the point where the characters themselves are so averse to to broaching the topic where, like, I'm not entirely surprised that this is like the idea that is still pervading the Jedi Order by the time we get to Anakin Skywalker, mm-hmm. because I. I can only imagine when the when the rumors about Anakin and Padme first reached the council that Master Yoda uh, was just like, well, you know, the last Jedi Master I knew who had sex tapped into the dark side, so we can't allow this. <laughs> like, 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 it's no surprise that that's what the attitude is at that point. And... Um, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things where, you know, otherwise I have enjoyed the High Republic so much that it is very distracting when that theme keeps popping up in each of the High Republic books. Mm. And yet it seems like they like were told by Disney or something to just be like, hey, everybody's really into romance right now, but like don't actually try to like explain any of it in the ideology of the Jedi. Like, <laughs> like it, it almost feels like that is what's going on. And it's just, it's fascinating that that's the direction it's going in. Well, I mean, we do, we do still have phase three. 
Um, you know, and that's, and the, it is kind of a weird, it is kind of a weird, uh, thing to be like, you know, I hope a phase three would get more sex. Um, no, <laughs> um, but give the but people what they want, Delray. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but like, that's it. You, you are right because, because the more you read this and the more that you kind of see that a lot of this was kind of, you know, shoved under the rug by certain people. And, and for the record, I'm not, I'm not saying that like the moment that Stellan ever found Elzar and Avar and whatever state they were, it's very ambiguous on, on if they actually, uh, to what stage they got in any certain romantic setting, but uh, <laughs> what base was rounded by these yes, Jedi yes, yeah, I, was, <laughs> I was trying to think of a nicer way to say that, but, uh, <laughs> but, it is very clear that he knows that they have a romantic connection, mm-hmm. but you know, and, and, and I'm not saying that he should have like, you know, snitched on them. Like a meal, just been like, just gone to Yoda. Just be like, you'll never <laughs> believe what I just saw. <laughs> but at the same time, the, the more you read without it being addressed, the more we get to like attack the clones being, being like, well, what's really so wrong with Anakin and Padme? Like, I mean, besides the fact that she's like the I mean, I think we're supposed to believe she's like six years older than him, but Natalie Portman was way older than Jake Lloyd at the time. So well, sure. I I don't know. The whole the whole, whole thing's off. Um <laughs> But anyways, it I get I, I do get what you're saying. It, it I, I definitely do because but I also think that that might be a part of the reason that the sequels haven't addressed it. Um, in the sense that, and also that the originals don't address it. Um, because I kind of think that the, the point of, <laughs> it's not the entire point of the series, but in this, but for this particular <laughs> discussion, um, when the Jedi Order falls in Revenge of the Sith, so too do all of the all of the old ways that they that they thought of the, of them basically being, you know, monks pretty much. I I cannot foresee. I cannot foresee Luke's entire grand plan and Ray's grand plan going forward in the new Jedi Order movies to be we are bringing back the Jedi Order exactly the way it was. With all of the pervading problems that we are that that they had as well, right? Um, now, I don't think that the that there's going to be a Star Wars scene where Ray looks at all of her apprentices and goes, "Be fruitful and multiply." But at <laughs> the same time, I don't. I I could easily see it being something where it's like, yes, you can have attachments. Yes, you can, you can have loved ones because because once you get into the attachments discussion, then at that point it's like, okay, well. In the original trilogy, the entire galaxy is saved by, uh, you know, six or seven people who legitimately love each other in various forms of – because attachments, in my opinion, if you say attachments, you're not just canceling out romance at that point. You're canceling out brotherhoods. You're canceling out friendships. You're canceling sure. out, you know – and the, the also, okay, the aspect of Jedi being uh, taken from their families. Sure. Um, I cannot see them 
going forward in a let's just say let's just say the movie comes out next year, which would be awesome. I don't know. I don't think it will in time. But let's just say you have a new Star Wars movie in 2025 and it's all about Rey starting a new Jedi Order. Do you really think there's going to be a scene where we see her steal? A, you know, I'm going to say it. It's not even effectively. It is. Do you think there's going to be a scene where she is stealing a baby? <laughs> I cannot see that. And so yeah. the way that I take the sequels and the way that I take the idea of the new Jedi Order is that we are trying to move past what has come before. And if the higher public is anything besides this, obviously a fantastic series, it is addressing the fact that these were problems that were prevalent even 200 years before our f- favorite characters showed up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I, 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 I do agree with what you're saying though, that it, it, it is something that at this point, it, it just needs to be addressed. It's the elephant in the room at this point. It, it is. It really is. It's, it's one of those things where it, it, this is a last thing I'll say about this. I'm sure um, I caught you off guard where you were just like, I wasn't expecting to talk about Hex this much on Star this Wars. episode of Star Wars. But <laughs> but, uh, but it's just like the last note. This, this issue annoys me so much because we're still seeing it. Even in like the quote-unquote mainstream Star Wars stuff. I mean, when you get to season um, um, oh gosh, I forgot that it's actually in Book of Boba Fett. Um, When you get to episode five of the Book of Boba Fett because I forgot that half of the season of that show is just season three of the and DeLorean. But, <laughs> but um, when you get to that point in the show where Ahsoka shows up and is observing the training that Grogu is getting from Luke, um, where even Ahsoka Tano, who doesn't even claim to be a Jedi anymore, who, who has turned her back on a lot of the old traditional Jedi teachings of what the Force really is, when even she is just like, no, he shouldn't have attachments. It like attachments are bad for people so powerful in the force. When even she starts to say that, which is like one of the only things I take issue with in that entire storyline of the Mandalorian. It just, it just feels so unsatisfactory to still be hearing that from even the most unlikely of characters who would have that opinion. It just, <laughs> it just, it just grinds at me. And so to see it continue to pop up in the High Republic, it's just like, why? Why? Just address it. Just. <laughs> You have all these characters, all these different approaches and understandings of what the Force is. Why not have just one character just say, hey, I'm not sure this anti-intimacy thing is really is really the right way to go. So I do have two responses to that. Because because there was a point where I was actually very disappointed. Not, not even so much in Ahsoka, but I was also disappointed in Luke. Because Luke makes Grogu clues. Mm-hmm. Um, but... The more I thought about it, 
the more that scene actually makes sense, at least in at least from the character's point of views. Um, and and you know, feel free to argue with me if 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 you think if you think I'm wrong on this, but think about it. The last time, and, and this is Ahsoka's only family she ever knew was the Jedi Order. Okay. And the last time that she saw someone have legitimate, strong connections while being very, very strong in the Force, with the exception of Kanan Jarrus, who is perfect, um, was Anakin Skywalker, who fell and became Darth Vader. Mm. So there is a part of me that when I hear Ahsoka say that, Although I understand, I understand what you're getting at of, and 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 I think even Ahsoka, even with Rosario Dawson's interpretation and 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 with the new show's interpretations, I think even still, they would say they would make the statement that Ahsoka is still learning not only about who she is but also what she really believes within the Jedi Order, or believes of the Jedi Order. Um, I think at that point it's more so. It's it's the same reason she doesn't want to teach him. In in the actual Mandalorian season two, I don't know if you remember. If you remember mm-hmm. that, at first, he doesn't want to teach him. That's the whole point of. That's why she sends him away in episode five, um, or four, or whenever she shows him a Mandalorian season two. You you know what I'm yeah. talking about. Um, yeah. But that's why he doesn't want to teach him is because she does not feel as though she feels as though he is at least in her mindset. You know, she thinks he's gonna. She thinks Grogu's gonna become another Anakin. Because she thinks that either that either a he has seen too much, um, and he's too old, or b he has too many attachments already that it's going to corrupt him. Um, now, is that a good way of thinking? No, I'm not absolutely not. It isn't, um, particularly when you know it's it's Grogu and Din Djarin. You you let them have their attachments. They 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 love each other and they're wonderful. Um, but I at least can understand where. Ahsoka is coming from there, where if all she knows is Anakin had attachments, Anakin became Darth Vader, that ruined a lot of people's lives. Um, you know. Now on Luke, one hundred percent, my favorite character in Star in the Star Wars universe, love him to death. But the way I take that scene and the reason that I think he's still holding to that and the reason that he is so different from that scene to The Last Jedi is because he thinks that he can do the exact same thing over again and it'll be fine. Whereas – because because it's – in my opinion, it's the Elzar man, uh, Stellan Gios uh, juxtaposition. It is Ahsoka wants to save him from becoming Anakin. And Luke thinks that if he teaches him the exact same way that Anakin was taught, he will not make him Anakin. That's the way that I take that, at least in in that scene. I don't know if that's 100% what they were trying to go for, but that is the way that I take it in that Luke doesn't know any better. And he is trying to just implement what he already has learned from various books and holocrons and other things that he has seen of the old Jedi Order, which is why I think – the sequels are so important because Luke understands that the Jedi as they were need to die so that a better version of the Jedi can be born. Does anything I just said make sense? Um, 
It does in a way. I can see the logic that you're following on it. Mm. Um, I and I apologize, everybody who is listening to this and are just like, "Wow, they have not said the words High Republic in like half an hour." <laughs> in like twenty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I promise we're gonna get back to we're it. Almost at the end, yeah, yeah, yeah. I promise we're almost at the end. Um, but th- the issue I have with that there is that um, one with the Soka is that um, well, t- 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 two with the Soka. One <laughs> with the Soka is being that presumably Luke Skywalker after learning about who Ahsoka was, would have told her what went down with Vader and the Emperor at the end of Return of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. And so Ahsoka would realize that, like, oh, it was an attachment that Anakin had this whole time that caused him to come back to the light in the first place. Um, But even if we assume that he did not tell Ahsoka that, uh, that he decided that that was like his own secret to have or whatever. Um, the other point with this Soka that is giving me trouble to agree with you there is that um, is that Soka's character journey through the dark times of the Empire is shaped by her observing the attachments that are formed, not just with Kanan, but with Ezra as well. And how Ezra goes from being this isolated orphan who doesn't have anybody in his life. And over the course of that show, have a chosen family that he loves and feels attachments to all the way up to the end of having his confrontation with Thrawn. Um, I don't think Ahsoka would see those relationships and those attachments happen. Having seen Ezra still become the character, the Jedi that he did become and still be like, no, I think attachments are going to always be bad. I just don't see that being consistent with where her character has been and what her character has seen up to that point. Um, with Luke, I don't, I don't even have an answer. I don't, <laughs> like, I think Luke, this is, again, this is where I diverge from everybody who loves the Yod Cannon uh, version of Luke Skywalker. Um, and hates like the new canon version of Luke Skywalker is just that um, similar as to what you were saying about him is that Luke Skywalker he is he 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 is a he is a a dog chasing cars like he is <laughs> he he is just he's just trying to do his best he's trying everything he just he's just like oh my god he's he, I found this kid who's essentially who's essentially Pastor Yoda. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna try this with him. He's gonna choose the lightsaber. He has to. I like to think there's a scene that happens. 
after that scene in Book of Boba Fett, where Grogu is just like, okay, I choose my dad. I choose a Mandalorian armor. And Luke sends him on his way, and the X-Wing flies off into hyperspace, and Luke is just standing there like, I would have sworn he was going to choose a lightsaber. (laughs) (laughs) There is. That did not go the way I... I saw it going in my head. <laughs> that is incredible. He just turns to Ahsoka. The mu- the credits I would have bet on that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, there's no way. That's the thing that triggers him to just be like, okay, fine. Eventually, my sister's gonna have a kid, and and I'll just I'll take him. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, sure, I'll try something else with him. It's fine. Oh man, but, no, no. <laughs> That's where I'm at on that. I can see that line of reasoning with Luke, all right, but it it still it still poggles my mind with Ahsoka. I just don't see that happening. If I'm supposed to accept that the Rebels show is the path that she took to Return of the Jedi, um, that version of her that says that line just has not make any sense in my opinion i suppose that is true because i mean of course at, th- at that point you, have to, you also have to think like from when ezra brings her back because i i keep forgetting that, that that takes place like right before rogue one so when ezra brings her back you've got or as rogue one is happening really so you've got the next four years are like the strongest the rebellion's ever been is 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 ever you know because right. I mean, that's then they win um you know and 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 also i'm i'm kind of with you like luke would have had to tell her right <laughs> like he would have had to there's no way <laughs> like cuz 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 otherwise then we it reframes luke in my opinion because if he's just like I'm not going to tell her like that's uh, at that point. You're just like, dude, like it reframes him and it reframes Soka's entire perception of who he is, because Mm. if he doesn't tell her what happened with Anakin on the Death Star 2, then when Ahsoka finds Luke, her whole perception of him is, oh, this is a guy who just walked onto the Death Star and killed Vader and Palpatine. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's think... what she sees him as. Is like, oh, he's he's an OG. He went in there armed <laughs> with his lightsaber and killed them both. Like, that's what she is seeing him as. If mm. he does not tell her what happened. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I think you are correct. That they that they they have definitely had a few. There has been some odd tone tonal issues and things that have been said in the live action versions um, with Ahsoka. I will I will definitely admit that. Um, it's very strange. It is very strange, particularly considering it's all written by Dave Filoni. So like. Like everyone involved, like the entire characters are. So honestly, I would, I would like to hear his his take on that, of uh, on that discussion. Uh, if we, if we ever get big enough to have him on the show, that's what we're gonna ask him. Okay. I'll, oh, um, oh, dude, I've got like a dictionary 
of questions I want to ask <laughs> a Filoni about Ahsoka. Like, <laughs> ju- just about Ahsoka, mm-hmm. to be completely honest with you. He's done, like, a lot of, he's done a lot of great work, but, like, man, I've got some... I got some questions to ask him. <laughs> oh boy! Well, getting back to our main subject and our final two questions. Um, of course, sorry, sorry. Yes, sorry. no, 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 no. You, you are absolutely correct, and because once again, you are, you are, you're absolutely right that that is a discussion that needs to happen within these books, and I think that's one of the reasons. It would be weird if that was not something that was discussed, considering how prevalent mm-hmm. it is in so many different stories. Um, sure. But um, but no. So what what was your? I I know that there is a. There are a few hype moments, but no. There's also a lot of like hair raising and anxiety inducing moments in this <laughs> book as well. Sure. Um, so what was? We'll go we'll, instead of what was your hypest moment. We'll go with what was like your like highest emotional moment, whether that's good or bad <laughs> for this book. Mm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's a good question. Um, I just, I love the, I love how uh, these books in general, but especially Fallen Star, I love how it has embraced the elements of psychological horror. Whenever yeah. it comes to the effect that uh, the levelers have on the Jedi, um, I think it's so interesting. It's something I caught this time. This is my second time reading this book, and it's something that really stick out to me on this read through of it. Um, it particularly happens um, when Orla dies, and I knew you were Orla. And I hate that so much. I love Orla. Yeah. <laughs> um, because Orla is exploring this this um, this bay, the cargo bay. She's exploring this place that seems to be the epicenter of all of, um, of the darkness and confusion uh, that's happening and is plaguing the Jedi um, on Starlight Station. She's exploring this, and it's heavily impressed upon us. It happens with... Uh, with Stellan's encounter too, but it's heavily impressed upon us that Orla encounters the Evlers in the cargo bay. And she's encountering them. And at one point she even like starts to say that, like I saw a, um, um, she saw like a shape or like a shadow off to the side as she was exploring the cargo bay. But other than that, zero description of her encounters with the Evelers has any visual description about it. Yeah. Um, The fact that these creatures, these like eldritch horrors, essentially (laughs) are, are, stopping and and challenging and killing the jedi in such a way that their victims can't even start to physically describe them it's just completely the psychological 
torture of being in their space of like sharing an environment alongside them and just the the just utter despair and otherworldly horror that they experience as as they go down and as they're drained and as they're husked if you will um that description especially in this by claudia gray is just so apt and so effective of a description to really show why these things are such a huge threat because they aren't preying on on the jedi in a physical sense they are preying on on really just who the jedi are of on on their sense of self on their sense of identity and so you see the confusion happen you see the paranoia happen you gradually see them just completely lose sight of what they were trying to do of what their purpose is of who they are and just that gradual loss of their sense of self is like is one of the more horrifying things that can happen to an individual and so the use of that is just really 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 effective in this book yeah i uh i mean i i definitely agree with you there it's um i hated orla's death so much strictly because of like you said the way it was written just it's just such a it's such a horrifying sad tragic thing that's happening and you're and you just know you're because uh, i mean it's we have yet to see someone really survive it that easily you know what i mean mm-hmm. like the sure. Um, the, 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 the twins in the comics, um, yeah, because they had the connection because it's the two of them, um, they are able to, I think, survive, but I mean, I think if I'm correctly, they're both comatose at one point. So, I mean, it's still not, mm-hmm. it's not great. Um, you know, but, um, but no, I think that's one of the things that really kind of works so well with them as char- as characters and and against the Jedi is because if, if any other writer had the had this kind of story, I don't think it would be as good. Um, I, th- I think I think it lies a lot on the uh, writing abilities of the different of the different people that are involved here. Sure. Um, but on that note, um, I have another one that I really enjoyed, um, yep. and uh, it actually features one of your favorite characters, Al. It features Geode. Um, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I-, I told you that one of my favorite moments of this already was the docking bay, um, because it does add to that. Almost, the, uh, it, in, in my opinion, whereas the levelers add the psychological horror the docking bay kind of gives you that almost like existentialistic kind of horror where, uh, or, or like a natural disaster kind of horror is kind of happening there because you, the docking bay reminds me of something like, like, uh, like a, a Godzilla or the mist or, uh, uh, I don't know. I've other, uh, uh good Lord. Why is this the first one I thought of the day after tomorrow? Um, movies where people are stuck in a room by themselves and having to deal with the elements of what is happening around them, basically. Um, and, and I am certain that someone that somewhere, someone is, is listening to this and just like, 
he has horrible taste in movies. <laughs> um, um, but uh, but no, like that that kind of aspect of just you know just being stuck and not being able to do anything with it, and then it's all building in that tension. Um, particularly when you know you also have. I can't remember the guy's name, but it's the one that Leox and um, Affy um, are both like, I hate that guy. And I don't like that he's here. Oh, and him. I cannot think of his name. Oh, um, oh yeah. That's old Coley Lynn. Coley Lynn. Yes. Thank you. Thank Coley you. Lynn. Okay. Who so, I don't know why, but I imagined his character being played by the actor who plays, um, who plays Ramsey. In Game of Thrones. <laughs> I I could see that. I could <laughs> I imagine him see as that. that. Yeah. Um I I won't unsee that now, Al. Well done. Yeah, um, there you that, go. That's a good casting. There you um, go. You get that for free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, is it as good as the ox being played by Annie McBride. No, I, 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 I was going to bring that up, especially with, with these characters. Okay, because Al said, hang on, he sent in the message. Because obviously there was one that was a joke, but everyone else you said, I was like, that actually would work really well. Um, come on. I know it was. Um, um, I, oh, I said Dwayne Johnson is. You said Dwayne Geo. Johnson's Geo. That's because he's a rock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I forget the other ones I said. Um, oh, um, um, I said Ryan Reynolds as Eltzar Man. That's right. Yes. Which I still stand by. And uh, yeah. S- 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 Saldana as Orla. Yeah, I mean, yes, yeah. yeah. All, all of those, all of those would be per- pitch perfect. I think Danny McBride as, as Leox would is is your. I think that's your, that's your cap though. Like that, that is your, <laughs> that that is like the best. Um, <laughs> just everything about who he is as a person would work so well for that character. Um, Can but you no, imagine the way the internet would lose their minds if they saw a short, a short list of casting for a new unannounced Star Wars film and. And Danny McBride was on the casting. List. Was on the cast list. Just like, <laughs> what the hell is happening? Um, <laughs> um, but no. So uh, the t- the tension's building in the docking bay. Okay, and you have and you have asshole over here. Coley Lynn um, is basically trying to take pretty much charge of everything. Okay. Um, and long and short of it is. He shoots off a blaster bolt, and everyone thinks that it's going to. Because if I remember correctly, it's all uh, their main. Their main thing is they're like, if you fire a single blaster in here, because of the, uh, I can't remember exactly. I think it's because some something with like the airlock, like it'll just bounce everything back pretty much yeah. if you miss. Um, and he shoots off a single blaster bolt, and Geode absorbs it. And then, like, sends it back at him. And it's just such a... And then at that point, it's just like everyone is just kind of like, you know, I think we I think we all just need to kind of chill and just kind of, you know, listen to the Jedi and figure out what we're going to do after this. I, th- I think we're all going to be okay. We just need to kind of just, you know, 
focus on what we're going to be doing here. Otherwise, we're all going to die. Um, yeah. So, just... yeah. So, so it's even better than that. Because I think, if I recall correctly, you're combining a couple of different scenes. Oh, there's a, I'm sorry. Because there's a scene early on in the book where he takes out his blaster and he fires a shot into the air to like to grab people's attention and that's when they realize oh the room is sealed and the bolt is like is bouncing off of everything until it hits like um, a softer t- target and he yelled like steps into the path of it and just absorbs it and then later on towards the climax of the book um Cody Lynn has like t- taken a child hostage and is threatening to shoot them <laughs> and geode steps in his way and so Cody is just like that's fine I'll just shoot you instead and he shoots him and geode like changes the density of his skin so that it bounces off of him and right. shoots him in the stomach which is hardcore yes. <laughs> that is yes. a rough okay. way to die <laughs> but yes. yeah Okay, yes. It's the second one. My bad. <laughs> it's awesome. No, no, it's awesome. It happens the, twice. Like, it's, it's super yeah, cool. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, it's, it's, it's such a cool ability that, that like, uh, Claudia was like, I've got to do this twice in here. Like, it's, you know, absorbing blaster bolts, sending them back as you need. Uh, yeah, this, yeah, it's... Uh, can you can you imagine if Eod could use the Force? That'd be uh, amazing. <laughs> I just <laughs> that'd be oh man that that would honestly be a perfect thing for the new Jedi Order film, especially for people who like who haven't read High Republic stuff. They go into the theater and Ray's introducing her various students, and there's like a couple humans, and there's like and there's like an Ithorian and like a Twi'lek, and then like she introduces the last student, and it's just like a rock, and people are just like um. <laughs> Is that is that what? a rock? And then the what? rock just oh, like is that a rock? just moves and does stuff. Ah, that'd be amazing. I'd I'd lose my mind. I think it'd be the best thing ever. Oh man. All right, Al. Uh, last question. Um, is this part of your grand canon? I'm assuming I know the answer, but you know, just just double check. Um, I mean, of course, yeah, yeah. Like it's it like it's such a it's such an appropriate ending to the story that has been told so far in the High Republic, and it still—it's exactly the way you want to end the the phase one of an era of stories that is being told, because it does a good job as a capstone to the story that's been told so far, and it leaves enough room for stories to continuously be spun off of it. And to continue in in like a very organic kind of way. So, um, I mean, yeah, it just, it adds to the lore. It's, it's easy to just kind of jump into for people who want to read more Star Wars stuff. Like, um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's gotta be in there for me. I, I completely agree. I mean, it's the higher public has been one of the more exciting it's it's been the most it's been the most excited I've been for a Star Wars project since like the since the first time I saw like the Last Jedi, um, you know, and that's just yeah, 
it's it's just great. So yes, go go read more High Republic. Um, go read more Star Wars in general. Um, obviously, always, always, always. always. Uh, yeah, that's true. So um, it's kind of appropriate we covered it um, this month because um, um, also what came out this month was uh, the first High Republic book of Phase Three. So yeah. um, it kind of fits that we have concluded phase one as kind of the beginning of the end um, um, is out now. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we've got, you've got plenty, you got plenty of stuff to read, plenty to catch up on, and there's still plenty of time before. I think they're, they're going throughout 2024 from Mercredly. So you still got plenty of time before, before the higher public is air quotes over. Um, hmm. Cause I, I, as much as I love the Nile storyline, I do think there's a lot more they can do with just this era in general. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. A lot of different stories, a lot of different things to, to research. Um, I mean, here's the thing. The Acolyte show is coming out. I'm, I feel like that's going to address basically what are the Sith doing during this time. Um, mm, yeah. You know? Hopefully. Yeah, uh, hopefully, yes. Because uh, at that point, it'd be like, where is... Darth Tenebros's master. Oh, where is Darth Tenebros? I'm just thinking of of like who who would be alive during this point. And uh, what other happened to Darth Cognus? Boy, all right. I agree. Yes, very excited about the acolyte. I don't think I've ever been so excited about something that I don't actually know anything about. Mm. So, so I mean, it's the first yeah. higher public we've seen on screen. So, I mean, that is that is important, you know. Yeah, yeah let's yeah. do it. I hope we get it soon. The yeah. last I heard about it was like on the main actress was cast, and then like a couple of other people were cast, and then it's been total radio silence. So, hopefully, we get Pretty much. something soon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you all so much for hanging out with us. Thank you all for listening. As always, uh, happy new year. Once again, we've got happy so much, stuff coming, so much stuff coming out this year. We're really excited for, um, if you want to keep up with the EU or EU review next month, we are doing Andor. um, something that we didn't really talk about whenever it first came out. So I am, I am very excited to, uh, to talk about this show actually, and, and very excited to rewatch as well. So, um, if you guys want to watch along with us, you want to welcome to, um, yeah, and we will, we love y'all. We'll be seeing y'all soon. And as always, I want to remind you that fandom is for everyone. You guys have a good night. <laughs>